Welcome to the BMO Road to Recovery podcast. I'm your host, Eric Bulls. Businesses have begun to turn their focus to the future beyond the COVID-19 pandemic, but the playbook of the past won't work in the future. In this series, we hear from experts across a variety of industries and professions that offer ideas on how leaders can address some of the critical facets of work and life that have and will continue to fundamentally change how businesses operate. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO, its affiliates or subsidiaries. Hello and welcome to another episode of Road to Recovery Expert Conversations. I'm your host, Eric Bowles. Where we work has been evolving over the years. If you walked into an office in 2019, it would look dramatically different from how they looked even just 10 years ago. 2020 has accelerated that evolution. My guests today are on the leading edge of how the workplace will continue to transform. Peter Miskovich is the Managing Director of Strategy and Innovation at JLL. George Delaraca is the Global Head of Corporate Real Estate at BMO. And Jonathan Franzi is the Director of Enterprise Technology and Employee Experience at BMO. Thank you all for joining me today. And for those of you watching on LinkedIn Live, we will be taking your questions live at the end of the stream. So please comment with your questions. I'm gonna jump right into it. Question number one, and this is for Peter and George. Prior to 2020, the workplace was evolving. And what were some of the trends that were emerging? Start with you, Peter. Eric, uh, thank you so much. Pleasure to be with everyone today. What we saw prior to 2020 was the emergence of the experiential workplace, co-working, flexible work, and accelerated emerging technologies really advancing and changing how people work. What COVID-19 has done in 2020, it has actually served as an accelerant to further these trends and even accelerate existing trends that were already underway. And I'll let George provide uh, greater context, George. Yeah, and uh, th- thanks, Eric and Peter. And I'd say just building off uh, of Peter's comments, remember BMO is a company with tens of millions of square feet of office space and very diverse business groups. So a lot of the trends we've been seeing in the marketplace, we've seen all of them because we have pretty much any kind of space that you could think of, um, including retail office space and critical facilities. Um, the key trends we were seeing really were around things like the technology and advancement that Peter referred to, but also inclusion and wellness and elements like that, where they were becoming more incorporated into the workplace and in how we deal with our employees, accessibility, diversity, inclusion. Um, the other piece of it was really around collaborative collaboration in the office and outside of the office. So some of the things we've seen accelerated were already happening. Um, and what I'd say is the increased enablement that technology has kind of brought to bear recently, and most companies had to really move quickly to enable this, has really changed things. Um, the one thing I would point out, though, there were a few trends we were seeing that were really kind of not what I'd say COVID-friendly, and that's things like agile work. So for software development, where folks are actually required, not required, but preferred to come into work together in teams, um, and it's more of an analog type of work than digital. So we've had to kind of flip that around and figure out how to keep that kind of work going. So looking to the future, that's going to be one of the challenges we have to deal with. Some of these non-COVID friendly trends, um, densification of space, hoteling and desk sharing are not things that employees are going to see as a positive right now. So we're really thinking about how do we look at this in the future? And I say what COVID has has really done right now, in addition to accelerating things, it's, it's actually created different expectations. And I think that's what's underpinning a lot of the acceptance of what we're doing right now, aside from the fact that it's it's mandatory, it's required, 
there are still people going into work. Uh, we still have lots of employees that are required and essential employees. But what's happened now is the expectations of people, of managers, of employees, and corporate culture has changed dramatically. And, and what I think is going to be important is if that maintains, then we'll be able to do a lot more things and be a little bit more creative. If it doesn't, then we're going to probably have some different challenges. Last thing I would say is around the utilization of office space. Historically, probably for the last 10 years or so, corporate real estate people have been tracking this. And you've seen utilization around 60 to 70% in general. That's not for everybody, but in general. So if you think about it, we probably were already doing quite a bit of this without formally recognizing it. So we're probably a little bit down this path a little more than we thought when this all started. Back to you, Aaron. Uh, appreciate it. Appreciate that, George. Uh, Jonathan, it was mentioned about how technology is, is enabling this. So can you share with us mm -hmm. how has technology enabled this trend? Sure. So, um, you know, in support of that real estate strategy, in support of the different ways of working, um, what, what we've been doing is providing solutions that enable essentially work from anywhere. And we've been doing that for quite some time. Um, I would say, though, back to Peter's initial comment, um, adoption was relatively slow, um, wasn't necessarily a priority for many business units. Um, and so, you know, I think part of it is just a little bit of uneasiness on how employees will work from different locations, uh, different office spaces, working from home um, versus the traditional way of working. Right. Monday to Friday, you sit at the same desk. I know where you are. I see what you're doing. Um, obviously, I think there's also the perceived costs of enabling that way of working as well uh, from different uh, business units. Um, and then, you know, the last six months has really accelerated the adoption of all these solutions. And so we're in a much better place uh, due to the current situation. Thank you, Jonathan. Uh, it, I just want to point this out. If you're watching us live, uh, please join the conversation. Use the chat feature to please send in your questions. We want to keep you uh, engaged. Uh, with that being said, I'm going to ask this next question. Uh, for, and this is going to be for all three of you, but I'm going to begin with Peter. Is as, as we look to the future, what does the next five to 10 years look like for the future of buildings and office spaces? Eric, that's a great question. And I think what we'll see over the next 10 years, given the acceleration of COVID-19, this combinatorial convergence of new enabling technologies, as Jonathan mentioned, new remote work and hybrid workplace behaviors that George mentioned. Mm -hmm. And then finally, we're working with Accenture and a number of firms in creating digital twin uh, augmented and virtual reality uh, workplace environments. So potentially in 2030, you actually may have the choice of working from home, working from a co-working site, working from the office, or working in virtual reality. And those solutions are here today. And I think what's very exciting for BMO, and you know, this pandemic has been horrific and it's had so many terrible consequences, but it is enabling and pushing us forward with entirely new ways of working, which is which could be very exciting. Wow. Before we even move on to uh, George and Jonathan, I, you know, they, they, it's always been said that opportunity comes out of difficulty. But the, what you just got through describing, I couldn't even imagine. I mean, a virtual workplace, the option of four different ones. No, that, uh, thank you so much for that. Peter, uh, how about you, George? Yeah, yeah, I, I'd agree uh, with Peter. I mean, the acceleration of this is a big piece of it. And I think um, from my perspective, I've been doing this quite a long time and we, we've seen other areas of, of business and um, out in the world that have changed very quickly. And I'd say ours has been affected very, very materially. 
And I would almost say that the, the impact of this is like a 10 to 15 year lead forward. It's not a three or five year. Um, and, and the reason for that is really, this is such a complex topic with so many social, economic, and human constructs built into it. The change is so difficult in this area. And I'd say we're all reading the stories in the papers and you see almost every day there's at least one story about the office, the workplace, the office is dead, the office is alive. Um, we're gonna see different buildings. We're gonna see everything in the world change completely when we go to work. And I agree with that to some extent, but for sure there's gonna be a lot of change. But I'd say one thing to start off with, the office is not dead, that's, that's my opinion. And I think what's going to happen is it's going to change. So yes, there will be office buildings, there will be people working in them, but what they're doing in the office buildings will be quite different to some extent. So we're going to look at this as kind of an ecosystem. So if you think of the broader ecosystem of the workplace, starting with the person waking up in the morning and doing whatever they do at home to what they do at, at work and what they do in the evening, um, and when that workday ends, we're looking at it holistically. So if you think of it from your workplace, your home, and the third places that Peter is referring to, some of those are virtual reality, a cafe, a co-working location, a subway, whatever it might be, work is getting done everywhere and always. So obviously there's trade-offs when you start to do that. It affects human behaviors, it affects quality of life and balance of life, which is a little bit difficult. Um, I, I think though, we're looking at this from a business by business point of view, and it's not, it's a trite to say it, but it's not one size fits all. So we're looking at kind of a, across the board, how do we look at this as um, some people will be doing it 10%, some will be doing it 50%, some will do it 100%. So there's a continuum of this. If we look at the extended impact of this, so I think if this becomes an accepted concept that we're actually going to be able to work anywhere and that stays and this, this holds and expectations don't change materially, we're going to see this open up labor pools, we're going to see it change how we design our spaces, we'll talk a little bit about that later. We're going to see how we use our branches, our other offices differently. So we've got distributed real estate everywhere. We can start thinking about it in a different way. So it doesn't make that uh, only one business uses their space in one way. We're opening that up quite a bit. So it's going to become a little more cross-functional, a little bit more shared. And the other thing that's really interesting, I think it's going to level the playing field for some people as well. While there will be some trade-offs for some people that it might be a little more difficult uh, working this way and they may not love it, for others, if you have trouble commuting or if you have a disability, this might level the playing field. The presence in the office is no longer required or expected. So I think I, I would I, I'd leave it there. That's that's kind of how I see it developing. Wow, thank you, George. How about you, Jonathan? Um, you know, I, I think if, if you just listen to what uh, Peter and George said, um, you know, the technology that people are gonna have to use is gonna have to support that. So, so it's a seamless transition regardless of where you're working, um, you know, regardless of which office, you may be in various offices, right? Uh, co-working spaces. Um, and so, so that needs to be key. Uh, ubiquitous access to all office resources. So if I uh, today am used to going to one or two locations and tomorrow have a plethora of choice, right? And so how do I access resources in those spaces? How do I know what meeting rooms, where do I sit? Uh, what kind of technology do I have access to? Um, and so, so that's going to be key as well. And, you know, in support of that, really, I think we need to think about technology in terms of effortless tech. And so things need to be similar in different spaces. You need to have access to everything. Um, you know, gone are the days where you need a set of instructions or, or a guide to be able to utilize something. Um, you know, it, it's, you're, you're, it's not efficient. It's not effective. It doesn't create a great experience. And so th those really are the areas that uh, we're focusing on. Wow. Peter, do you have a uh, response to that as well that you can add? 
I, I would certainly build on uh, both George's comments and Jonathan's comments. We're going to be moving into a new era of human to machine collaboration. And we're going to move from an era of people managing technology to technology managing people. And AI-enabled workforce management platforms will really plan our day. And I welcome that. I welcome my digital twin being, being able to answer 70% of my email. I look forward to the day where, you know, technology it should be a joyful experience and an enabling experience. And I think COVID, again, for all of its challenges and difficulties on a socioeconomic level, it is accelerating digital transformation to perhaps this more highly enabled, joyful future state. And I, I know that's a, a strange word to use relative to uh, the corporate workplace, but we really should experience joy in our day. And, and perhaps these new ways of working will enable that further. Well, one of the things you just uh, uh, emphasized, Peter, which is especially for myself, who's listening to these three experts, and not only you guys, three experts, you're already, you're describing and living in a place many of us have to hurry up and catch up to. So we're still dealing just with the difficulty of the situation versus being able to even envision what you're describing. And so when you use a word like joy, when you use the word like hope, it, it I actually... Uh, Thank you for that, because it, it creates almost a more hopeful future than one where we're just uh, uh, scrambling to survive versus being told how we can actually thrive through it. And so, you know, for all three of you, this this is this, I, I really appreciate this. Now, before we go to the next question, I want to emphasize again, we love to hear from all of you. So let us know what you think. Uh, and we'll have our experts actually answer your, your questions directly. So uh, we're going to the last question that we have for you here before we get into our audience questions. And this is question number four, and it's for all three of you. Uh, but I'm going to begin with Jonathan. And that question is, what should be the guiding principles behind any design? So we, we've always used um, intuitive, human, um, and effortless as guiding principles. Um, I would say what has um, come up and, and, and what will be front and center as well is really around flexibility. So uh, as, as the workplace continues to evolve, we need to be able to act quickly. Um, we haven't always done that in the past. And so uh, we need to be more agile than ever uh, in order to address uh, anything that comes up and be able to to um, to meet those needs, so flexibility, I think, would be the third uh, guiding principle. Appreciate it. Uh, how about you, George? Yeah, this is this is a really great question because this is really where the rubber hits the road. And, and thinking about designing, what we're talking about here, this end-to-end -end ecosystem, and, and the things Peter has talked about, we think about it is how is AI incorporated? How does this work from end to end? extremely complex and for us in real estate where we've dealt with physical things forever it becomes more a conceptual design question around designing an operating model and i will say one thing this is not going to happen by accident so it's not like mm -hmm. a, you do what you walk away and it's going to ride itself this is going to require an ongoing effort and i think one of the biggest things we have to be very careful of for all of us in our companies and everyone listening you have to figure out how do you retain your culture in doing all of this because if you're disconnecting people from physical places and from seeing each other as frequently as they may today, that's gonna, you're gonna lose something there, but you have to figure out how do you regain something back on the other side. And the other piece that goes along with that all the time is innovation. And innovation can happen in any different way. So you have to figure out how to enable people differently. Some of the things Peter referred to may do that. Some of it has to be proven. Um, I will say that 
There is no one that has all the answers to these questions. We are working on it at BMO. We're spending a lot of time on this, and there's a lot of people working on it, and we're using our experts to do so. Um, I think one thing to think about is what we're looking at here is the purpose of the office. So why does the physical office exist, and what, it's been, what is it going to do in the future to enable people? Um, and I think that's a different thing than we've done in the past. In the past, it's been more around how many spaces do I need to put people into. Now there's going to be a lot more thought around why is someone coming in and what experience do they have to have and what do they need to be able to do while they're there with people that aren't there at the same time, whether they're in another country uh, or whether they're at their home or whether they're on a, at a cafe or on a train or somewhere else. Thinking about all of those things make it a, makes it a much more complex design, but it's also a lot more exciting for us. And I think uh, Peter's point around joy and making sure there is some element of that. A lot of people love going into the workplace. So if we're going to take a little bit of that away, how do we give something back to them that's cool, interesting, or fun? Oh, great, great insight, George. I, I will tell you, I was on a actually a coaching call this morning with the CEO of our insurance company. And, as he, and I told him what today's discussion was about. And what you just spoke to, George, was the question he asked. He goes, I can clearly look at our numbers, our results, and see that productivity has not necessarily dropped at all. He goes, my concern is I don't just lead productivity, I also lead culture. And where what I don't know what to do is how do I maintain that in this type of a remote environment when I'm not seeing people and my strength of leadership is in person and connecting. And, and so it's, it's, it's fascinating to see leaders having to learn a totally new discipline. So, uh, uh, George, thank you for that insight. I, I want to end this question with Peter, and then we're going to go to the questions that we have uh, from some of our audience. Thank you. So and Peter, I'll build upon, uh, yeah, absolutely, Jonathan and Eric, uh, George's good comments. Um, I would add three other guiding principles for the future. One would be digital. The workplace will be digitally enabled, Internet of Things, sensory, contactless, digital workplace as a guiding principle. The second would be elasticity to Jonathan's comments about flexibility, George's comments about agile working. So elasticity, no matter what happens, the workplace and our corporate work lives and uh, actually perhaps even this ecosystem approach becomes highly elastic. Um, you know, we are watching COVID closely. If we have subsequent waves of COVID, could we re-enter the workplace, then re-exit the workplace, then re-enter again? So how do we create an elastic hybrid approach? And then finally, resiliency. You know, right now in the U.S., we have a major hurricane bearing down on the southern part of the country. And we are in a combinatorial convergence world where pandemics, natural disasters, economic disasters, all can happen simultaneously. So how do we ensure human performance, ensure our people are properly equipped to survive and hopefully thrive with joy relative to all of these challenges that we're experiencing simultaneously? And I think this is part of uh, Eric and, and panel. This is part of our new challenge at a societal level and certainly at a corporate level. Yeah, man, I, I, again, I can't emphasize enough, Peter. I, I love hearing when you include the word with joy. That really raises the bar. Uh, <laughs> but such a good point. I, I, I wanted to ask, we, we got our first question uh, from our audience, and this is from Jeanette. And her question asks, uh, once initial setup has happened, is it not cheaper for businesses to have people work from home for the business? And I'm asking Peter if you can weigh in on that. Uh, first. I think from our experience, and certainly George would have a lot to add here, as would Jonathan, um, there needs to be a balance of return on investment 
to human performance and employee satisfaction and what makes sense for both the employee and the organization. And we're finding with our monthly human sentiment and employee sentiment surveys, um, people need to be cared for in their organizations. And so looking at both the caring, nurturing and supportive people, and if that means working from home, and then looking at the organizational objectives, including the financial objectives, how do we marry and merge all of that in a way where there's strong return on investment, but we also enable human performance? So that would be my response, and I'm sure George uh, or Jonathan may have additional comments. Yeah, George, if you don't mind uh, chiming in on that. Sure, and I think, it, it's, again, it's a complex question because there are so many dimensions to this, and what does is, what is cheaper mean? So it might be cheaper to leave some office space and have the person work from home and you don't pay for the office space, but what's the trade-off in potentially, depending on the work that person's doing, whether it's productivity, career advancement, there's a bunch of other elements built into this that are very, very hard to measure. And I'll make, I will make a comment about the continuous productivity we have seen. And most companies are saying, you know what, we haven't seen a big drop off in productivity. I have to believe that some of that not, not dropping off is related to the fact that we're kind of, a bit of this is the momentum we're posting on for what we built for, you know, tens and hundreds of years in some companies where it's kind of easy in a way to keep going with what you were doing. But I think a year from now, if we've been doing this and new people come into the organization, is it really going to be the same story? Um, that we will probably find out a little bit of that in six months if, as we know, we're, we're going in this mode for a little while longer. Let's see if it's still there. We think it will be if we manage properly, but if you don't pay attention to it, it could get quite a bit more expensive on the business. Uh, thank you for that, George. This, we have another question. This question is from Paulmina, and it is specifically for Jonathan. And the question is, how is security and sensitive information managed with a remote environment? That's quite the question. Um, so I, I, I'd say, I'd say uh, when we when we first started off uh, over six months ago, where uh, there was a, a huge population that all shifted to work from home, uh, we did encounter a few issues, um, you know, relating to to security. Um, you know, one would be am I able to print or not? And if I am able to print, what happens to that information? Right? Do I dispose of it the way I do typically in the office? Uh, there was use of different video conferencing tools, right, that, that were not necessarily um, approved. And so I think we, 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 we hit some bumps at the beginning. Um, what I would say is we already have a large population that works from home today. And so the systems are well equipped. And the key, I mean, ultimately is to ensure that um, we understand any type of uh, requirements that people have and build that out in, in enterprise solutions so that people don't go off on their own and do their own thing. I think that is really the key because as we build tools to work from anywhere, it doesn't really matter if you're at the office or you're at home, they are, they are secure um, and, and are designed to be worked that way. It's those little gotchas uh, when you're put into a situation that you haven't been put into before uh, where things creep up. Well, thank you, Jonathan. I want to, uh, first of all, say to you, I thank you for sending your questions. We have an, a question here from Mahmood, and, and, and the question asks, how long-term do you think small and medium businesses will last with the shift without making remarkable change? And that question is for Peter. Yeah, excellent question. And I, I think I'll... Um reinforce the guiding principles in our earlier conversation. So for a smaller medium business today, and we're seeing this, you know, across various geographies, the ability to be digital is key. 
digital businesses will survive, whether you're small, medium, or large. The second would be elasticity. How elastic is your operating model, your real estate footprint? Can you use co-working versus committing to a long-term lease? Can you use hybrid co-working, work from home, and perhaps even low-cost virtual reality versus committing to large real estate or operating expenses? And finally, resiliency. I think whether you're a small business, a medium business, or a large enterprise today, all of those shocks and challenges that I described in my previous response, Eric and team, those affect everyone. And so we would in particular hope that larger firms, we've had some very good uh, you know, signs from firms like Microsoft and, and Apple and others to help smaller and medium-sized businesses with technology investments. And I know BMO and other banks are looking to help small and medium businesses make those investments so we all can survive this very challenging economic environment. So thank you for that excellent question. Thanks, Peter. I got another question. And this question is going to be for George. And George, the question is, it is from Richard. And he is wondering, what's the most surprising thing you've observed over the last six months with such a large enterprise trying to react so quickly? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm not sure anything surprises me anymore. But I was, I would say, amazed a little bit about when I looked at the complexity of the issues we were dealing with and how broad and widespread they were and how granular they became when you start talking about the impact in every individual in the company, how our company was able to get together and make decisions at the enterprise level with all of our businesses involved on almost by the hour. It was incredible the level of engagement and response that we had to this, dealing with very difficult issues and very quickly. So, you know, people tend to rally in a crisis, but I think when you're in an enterprise this big, it's it's at a whole other level of, of difficulty to get people aligned and everyone has their own interests in their own business. But it was an incredible response and reaction. And it was really, I think I attribute it to the organization that was placed around it and putting in place a formal structure immediately really helped BMO respond to this. And we had daily calls with our executives on the call to deal with every single issue, no matter how small it was. And we resolved things very quickly. And I think that's why we didn't have a lot of really major issues. Um, we had uh, some great response on the technology front because nobody's ready to send this many employees home all at once. So there was some work to be done there, incredible response from the team. So standing up that many employees to work from home in that period of time was, I thought it was unthinkable and it was done. And we did it in a bunch of our businesses. So that was a pretty incredible thing to witness. Mm -hmm. No, that's great, George. Well, George, I'm going to keep that momentum going. This question is uh, for you. One more question for you. And this question is from Deborah. And, and her question is, what will happen with company culture? Is it strong enough to sustain prolonged distance? Yeah, this is it's a great question. And it's actually, it's the thing I think about the most. And, and it's because when you start talking to your employees and hearing what they're caring about and what they're thinking about, I mean, culture is one of those nebulous concepts. What is culture? Culture is what it, it means to the people to be part of this company. It's how does it make them feel? How do your customers feel about you? So there's an element of this that is very difficult to define, but I, I think you're going to have to replace some of the things that were happening before with something else, especially in the situation we're in now. And, and this comes down to, we talked a little bit about this before around communication and you have to figure out the right modes of that communication because sending emails out and posting things on your intranets, that's not going to get you there. This comes down to the individual communicating with the individual. So your leadership, your managers, all the way down the line have to be engaged and understand the impact of the things they're doing and not doing so that they actually can maintain what you had as a company. Because otherwise it's very difficult to do that 
it's not as hard with, with your existing employees, but as you start to bring in different people or younger people come into the company, how do you get them, I'll say indoctrinated, but feeling like they're part of the company. And, and it's really important. And it's, it's an important element of being part of BMO for me. And I know it is for people that work on my team. And I see that across the company. Being proud to work for a company is important. And how do you feel proud to work for that company? Part of it's just the interactions you have with your manager, with your coworkers, with our customers. It's extremely important and we have to continue that. And again, it's going to come down to the day-to-day. -day. It's the blocking and tackling. It's not just broad messaging. This has to happen in real time with all of our leadership. Yeah. George, that's a fantastic, uh, not only a fantastic answer, but all three of you, I want to thank you so much for uh, what you shared with us today. It's, it's very clear that it's a, it's a both-and world uh, that, that we're in. It's not just one or the other, but for technology innovation to uh, not only ensure that productivity maintains, but also that culture and these human dynamics are also uh, enhanced as well. Uh, and it's nice to know you you all are on the front lines of making sure that continues to happen. Uh, with that being said, I, I, I wanna just thank you today. I wanna thank all of our LinkedIn audience who, who submitted questions and and, uh, uh, and, and move things in. I'm, I'm gonna ask, uh, that uh, that the audience not forget to join us uh, on September 9th at 12 uh, Eastern Time, 11 Central, for another LinkedIn Live event where we will address how the democratic process has changed. Again, I want to thank you, Peter. I want to thank you, George. I want to thank you, Jonathan, uh, for your expertise, for being on the front line. Also, giving us some hope for the future. There's a quote that says, when you have hope for the future, it gives you power in the present. And so I thank you so much for the, uh, what you were able to offer us today. So uh, with that being said, to the LinkedIn Live audience, thank you so much. And please uh, continue to follow along with these uh, wonderful conversations of these expert conversations on the road to recovery. Make a terrific rest of your days. Eric, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Don't forget to visit bmo.com forward slash expert conversations. That's bmo.com forward slash expert conversations to watch videos with our experts and hear more insights from BMO. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Inc. and BMO Capital Markets Corporation, together BMO. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options or any other activity, which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests, and you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. 
BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets, insecurities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For full legal disclosure, please visit bmocm.com legal. To access our full disclosures for equity research reports, please visit researchglobal0.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public dash disclosure slash.